Good morning. Welcome back to Breakdowns for Breakfast. I am your host, Danger, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, my breakdown in musical composure. Yeah, I'm I'm lengthening out your your name, your yeah, yeah. monster yeah, Santa Monster. Is, yeah, but what is musical composure? That's well, not that's not a thing. It's where you're keeping it together musically. <laughs> Well, I'm glad we're keeping it together musically because verbally it's falling apart. <laughs> it absolutely is. It absolutely oh, good is. Good start. So, okay. On this episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast, we are going to be talking about a fan request from Crow. He requested Blind Guardian's album Battalion of Fear from May 1988. Now, Monster, you and I had never heard of Blind Guardian going into this. Tell me what you thought. Well, okay. So for the record, I had heard of them, okay, but I wasn't, I wasn't super familiar because I do like a lot of, you know, thrash metal, heavy metal stuff, but really just kind of my knowledge is a bit, you know, naive. I'm, I'm familiar with the big names like, you know, Iron Maiden and metallica megadeth and all that stuff and then some of the more like fantasy power metal stuff like i like dragon force Hammerfall, a little bit three inches of blood like i like some of that stuff but i've yeah. never really deep dived into any of it so when uh when our buddy shot us over blind guardian specifically their debut album i was kind of excited because it's like all right cool i've i've only sort of scratched the surface of this genre and i'm willing to take a deeper look and especially one this old you know right. kind of near the beginning of the genre so right. yeah i i had fun with it um it was about what i expected give or take yeah. um and yeah, it was it was a good time for the most part. I, I can get a little nitpicky as we go song by song, but generally speaking, I had a lot of fun with it. What what about you? So cards on the table when I I got the request from Crow through one of our 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 social media, one of our platforms to do. So um we kind of did some diving and you actually found that you know Crow from a music group that you're in. But that doesn't take away from anything on this album or you know any input that he had or any suggestion that he had now my uh my thoughts on this album this album is typical german power metal <laughs> the sound you get in the beginning is the sound you end with except for okay hold on the sound you get in the beginning and we'll talk about it when we get there is like weird circus music <laughs> but then after it picks up yeah. It's what you get until the end of the album, you know, and I've got plenty of thoughts all throughout it, but fast double bass drum, lots of snare, fast guitar work. That's very intricate at times. I mean, it's fun. Like if they were to take this album and put it into like an eighties or nineties, like movie, and there's some kid who's troubled, you could like safely play any part of this album. <laughs> as like the music that's coming from his room. That's fair. That's fair. And, and as a caveat I was talking to my buddy, Brandon earlier, crow, whatever he wants to go by. I don't know. Um, but he was asking uh, about, you know, this, and I told him we were recording this episode today. And he said, great. When's it going to come out? And I was like, it just be patient. It'll be a minute. And I also asked, so if we spend the entire episode talking shit, are we still going to be friends? He was like, of course. I was like, good. Okay, cool. Cool. <laughs> but, but no, I'm in, and I think we're both being very honest as we've stated on all these other episodes, we consume so much music from so many different genres that even if as a whole, it's not one of our favorite things, we're probably still going to find bits and pieces that we can enjoy. So yeah, I, I don't think we're going to spend an hour shitting on this album at all. Um, but yeah, I think it's safe to say that neither one of us are diehard fans of this genre. So going past the just like me and my new metal tiers, once you go past that A tier that get down into that B tier, C tier, maybe we're not as into, you know, we don't want to get in the weeds with it too much. <laughs> right now. One of the things that Monster and I do whenever we take on an album 
is we look at the album, not the bonus tracks, not the special edition, not the re-release, not the remastered or any of that. We look at the album itself. Now, this was released in 1988, so it was released on vinyl, and then it was re-released on cassette. And so, and then there was another release on CD or remastered. It, it's had like five or six different releases. But what we did yeah. is we actually took the vinyl, which was only, uh, what was it, nine tracks, and then we decided to do the cassette, which is just one more instrumental track. And so we're actually looking at, at those 10 tracks. Nine. It, it was nine. eight. Okay. And yeah. And then the ninth song was on the CD and the cassette that came out a few okay. years after the, the original, but yeah, there's a 2017 like bonus version with like an additional five or six demo tracks. Yeah. And, and that's another reason why I didn't think we necessarily needed to include them is because they are, they say demo next to the song. Right. Like they are not, you know, 311's done this. A lot of bands do this. Oh, yeah. They re-release it, put a couple bonus things on there. But that's not the album itself. Right. So, right. Yeah. We always try to take on the album itself and not the extra things that they included. So let's talk about the production of this album a bit. For when it was released, and I actually uh, say this in my closing statement, but for when it was released in 1988, now I did not hear the original recording of it i only heard what was available on spotify same what was there was was fine it was good the low end suffered a lot well okay so actually i want to commend them for actually having the bass guitar up in the mix uh See, i didn't not... i didn't hear a lot of the bass guitar in a lot of the tracks well i will say that it does not sound like "Quote unquote bass guitar that we're used to today. It's definitely in the higher register. Um, it doesn't have a lot of low, boom, boom, like rumble to it. It's a lot more kind of. I hate to use this term, but it's got that farty kind of sound where okay. it's kind of it's. It, there's a lot of mid. There's a lot of high. It's not super rumbly, but it's also." playing along with the guitar licks a lot of time so if it's too low and rumbly it gets kind of distracting um but i definitely noticed it a lot in headphones you can really hear the bass now again i mentioned iron maiden earlier stephen harris is an incredible metal bass player and he does that sort of like galloping sweeping thing with his right hand that's not really the bass on this though the bass on this is a little I don't want to say simpler, but it, it goes along with the guitar a little bit more. Okay. See, I, I had a hard time picking up on bass. I really didn't give this one much of a listen in headphones. You know, I, okay. I just didn't have the time to really give it that, that, uh, that listen through, but I did listen to it in the car and then I listened to it, you know, through speakers, my computer speakers, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So just, just to kind of piggyback off of that real quick and justice for all by Metallica came out the same year. And there's literally no bass on it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Which, there is actually a guy that re-released that album with the bass turned up, and it's a way better album with the bass oh, turned I'm up. Oh, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. So, so again, I, I think that this album sort of tiptoes the line between having the bass in the mix, but not super powerful because thrash metal you know mid to late 80s metal was they kind of kept the bass buried in the mix it was a mistake it was a mistake i think that well, this entire genre of music could have really you know gotten a good boost in success from having the bass higher up i'm a fan of bass in my music well yeah same and i've played bass in several bands as well as guitar and and i always take pride on actually playing more than just along root notes along with the guitar you know but but there were bands back in that day again i bring up stephen harris and iron maiden that really made the bass prominent and i feel like this record is sort of right in the middle it's not as empty on the low end side as like injustice for all but the bass player is not the stephen harris type that's going to go galloping all over the place no but what does gallop in this is the drums <laughs> the drums oh, are I, I, the drums are insane on most of this album. I would, I'm just going to go ahead and say on some of these tracks, the, the drums are just nuts, just <laughs> abs, just balls to the wall. Every song players too. Oh yeah. No, I was going to say every song has at least three solos and it's not a bad thing. And the thing about this is 
while I didn't hate the singer's voice, I actually, you know, liked it better, you know, when he wasn't singing. I enjoyed the instrumental parts of the songs better. Yeah, so um, I, I think I'm going to try to pronounce his name. I believe it's Hansi Kirsch. Yeah, it's I, for those listening, it's H-A-N-S-I, then K-U with an umlaut, R-S-C-H. Hansi Kirsch. Kirsch? I don't, I don't maybe, know. Anyway, go on. Yeah, you know, obviously we struggle with the Japanese and Chinese names. Uh, we're probably not going to do much better with German. No, um, not at all. I I like the fact that he does a little bit of everything on this album. He does sort of that just straight ahead thrash metal vocal that's like a little gruff. But he does also try to do some of those like real high Bruce Dickinson kind of operatic moments. He gets and a couple if, falsetto spots in there. For yeah, sure. yeah. And he even he even goes sort of lower with closer to that James Hetfield growl a little bit here or there. I don't think he does any of them great. Like, there, like there's for- one spot where he does a little like snarl growl thing that I wish he had done more on the album because I enjoyed it when yeah. it was, but it was just in that one song. And and to your point about liking the instrumental stuff better. I kind of go back and forth too because I don't love the I don't love everything he does with his voice, but at the same time, they're they're a thrashy power metal band. They're not yep. a prog band, so when they do two three minutes straight of instrumental, it it doesn't do a whole lot of changes. It's usually just several guitar solos in a row. Which, hey, I'm a guitar player. I can appreciate some of that, but. So I kind of go back and forth. Do I like it better when he's singing, even though I don't love his voice? Or do I like it better when he's not singing, but the music sort of just stays the same? See, I'm going to actually uh, take that thing you just said about they're not a prog band. Because they're not a prog band. But this is what happens when Thrash tries to prog. <laughs> yeah, there's elements for sure. And oh, yeah. Especially, especially with, like you said, the the hints of circus music. Yes. <laughs> sprinkled in oh Um, no it's not a hint at the beginning of this album it's just like you put it on and the first time i put it on i thought what the hell is this and then it like it changed real suddenly but we'll talk about that more in track one but i do want to really hammer in on this this band is what happens when thrash tries to prog and tries to be prog and they don't need to they absolutely don't need to they need to stop trying to do that they do not need a oh how long uh seven and a half minute uh nine minute uh yeah they don't need that long of songs for for this i love prog music when it's done right but this is an example of where it's not done right yeah and I, I will say that I have I, I did listen to some other stuff. I didn't get super in the weeds, but I, I looked up a couple live videos and you know a couple other songs here or there. And it would appear that they sort of I don't want to say got less thrash, but they got a little bit more theatrical, I guess. Like the songs became like these bigger sweeping stories more than like a thrash song with lyrics about hobbits you know what i mean and again i keep bringing up the same bands but like sort of the same thing that iron maiden did uh over the past couple years you know instead of writing 10 three minute long run to the hills number of the beast songs they start writing these nine minute long epics and for me i don't love that because again these aren't prog bands. These are just metal bands. So a lot of the duration is spent playing the same parts over and over and over. And so I kind of, I get bored with that. Okay. So there's a couple of things that I was trying to piece together while I was listening to this is to why this band that's not a prog band chooses these prog moments, these prog movements really within their songs, because a lot of these songs to me come off as, Several songs smashed together. They didn't have a better mm-hmm. idea for a you know seven minute long 
one song, but they had two songs that were four minutes, and so they smashed them together. Okay. Yeah. But if we look at it, a lot of the bands... Okay, so this album was... I'm going somewhere with this. Hang with me. <laughs> um, this, this album was recorded October, November of 87, and then released May of 88. So a lot of the bands from, you know, uh, the 70s and 80s that were prog bands were English and French and, you know, bands from that part of the world, from Europe. So around where these guys grew up. And so it is not a big deal for guys in Germany to drive or take a train, you know, four hours north and go see some band and then take it back the next day. I mean, that kind of stuff happens all the time in different parts of the world. We don't have that luxury here because we you know we're in one state, we get an option to go to a different state, not a different country <laughs> in, right, in a right. short train ride. But you had bands like Yes and Pink Floyd and Jethro Tull and Genesis, all from that part of the world that were huge bands mm -hmm. that were in that arena of things. And so they were obviously going to offer some influence. And so then they took the influence of these long, you know, huge, you know, songs, you know, these, these songs of movements and emotion, and then applied the thrash to them. But all of those bands made it big in America. And at this time, we, if you, if you made it big in America, you made it big to the world. Mm -hmm. During that time, if you made it big in your country, you were big around your country. That was mm -hmm. it. So I think that this is what happens when thrash is influenced by Prague tries to make it in America. I can see that. It it feels very European to me, though. It, uh, does, it, it feel, does. It does feel European. Know. Yeah. And and I don't mean that in a bad way, but it just sounds like, you know, it's it doesn't shock me that they're German. You know, right. Like just, but um, he also doesn't sing with a German accent. No. Um, and, and I, but I would venture to guess that English is not his first language. Yeah, just probably. From, probably. Just the sound of a couple of the pronunciations here or there. Yeah. And if you are talking about Tolkien, which he does on this album, uh, and you're not in English, isn't your first language. It's going to sound even more strange. Yeah. Um, of course, one of the, uh, Tolkien tracks he didn't speak at all so you know all true good. true all good and, and and I definitely think that there is a whole lot to be said about the lyrics on this album but as someone who's just kind of cramming it all in to to do this episode I am not do not feel comfortable trying to explain any of it I can guess from the names and the little bit that I can pick up on that it is very much just centered around J.R.R. Tolkien uh, just in general, um, I'm not sure if the songs necessarily go in chronological order and tell a story or if each song is just about a different of that puzzle. Um, either way, they definitely believe what they're singing. Like they, yeah, they yeah. are enjoying the the fantasy element of it. Yeah. And I think there's a certain element of Tolkien and that entire world that goes along with this type of music, especially during this time sure. period. So, oh yeah. All right. Let's jump into track one. You ready for it? Oh yeah. I'm all right. ready. Track one, Majesty. This is where we hear the circus music. This is where it starts so, with the circus music. I didn't catch the time on it, but it was for like, I don't know what, 10 seconds and then abruptly stops and changes into, you know, thrash speed German metal. So I will say that with the first time I listened to this, it was kind of late at night and I was cleaning up the house. Everybody was in bed. I had my headphones on and it started and as soon as the like pipe organ started, I kind of stopped what I was doing and was just like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> then it kicks in yep. and I was like, all right, I'm in, I'm back in, I'm back in. I was, yep. uh, you know, it was, it's real fast. It's real aggressive. It's very, 
like I said, you know, I when people describe this band and this album, I hear the term power metal thrown around a lot, fantasy metal. This is just thrashy. This is like late 70s, early 80s, like thrash, thrash. And yeah, I I thought that was a good way to start the album. Um, maybe not the pipe organ part, but starting with the song This Aggressive. I just wish it wasn't so long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this one is 7 minutes and 28 seconds of fast, heavy riffs and fast tempo, and I want a little bit more of the growl that we got here. Yeah, I, I a little bit yeah. of growl and then didn't hear it again on the rest of the record, but it just it, it goes on for a long time, and I want to say that I didn't check out during this song because of the length, but I did. I mean, I did listen to the entire thing several times, but it was just a slog to hang with, you know, at a certain point, because it was like, okay, we're doing we're, we're, we're doing the same thing. We're doing the, the thing that we've done for the last five minutes for two more minutes, and let's just come on, let's do it, let's go. I mean, for as yeah. fast as that tempo is, this song does not move as fast. Yeah, so, so we get into that um kind of what i was saying before where you've got seven minutes but you've only got three or four movements you know so what are you doing during those movements well you're playing a lot of guitar solos you're you're doing a lot of instrumental sections which can be fun but when you don't really change up the tempo you don't add a new vocal melody you're just kind of basically repeating the same bits over and over and over and i think First time you hear the song, it's not so bad because you you know the song kicks in. It's the start of the album. You're fired up. You're rolling. But by four, five, six minutes into the song, and you're like, "This is as far as it's going." All right, maybe we can maybe we can shave this down just a smidge. And the thing about it is, within the song that is this long, the drums don't really change much. It's everything else that changes. The drums change a little bit, but not enough to really go, oh, that that's new. That that's yeah. new. It it really wasn't something that needed to be this long. And now I understand that at this time people had listening parties and they would actually take an album, a new album, to a uh, somebody's house. They would sit around with a bunch of people and listen to one album all the way through, which I want to do that. So if somebody else is interested in having a listening party with me, then you know, let me know. But <laughs> I can understand why in that setting, especially given that this was late 80s and um, in a place where certain substances were illegal. And, um, you know, I don't know, was the Berlin Wall still a thing there at this point? I, I don't know. I don't have the dates on the Berlin Wall. But I do know that David Hasselhoff thought that his performance really had something to bring in the wall down. <laughs> Let's yeah. let's please not turn this into either a German history lesson or a David Hasselhoff special. I can't I can't participate in either one of those things. But you didn't say this couldn't be a David Hasselhoff history lesson. So the other thing about this song, <laughs> um, so okay, but with a song being this long at this time period, I can understand it, but it does not translate as well today. And, and and also, you know, it's hard for me to speculate exactly because my knowledge of German metal in the 70s, 80s and 90s is not, you know, super keen. But who's this? this well, I'm sure it is for some people. Crow. But I mean, clearly. Um, but this feels earlier than 88. Like, I feel like by 1988, we're already like moving on a little bit like by 1988 metallica was starting to inch closer to the black album we were starting to get away from seven eight minute long thrash epics you know and so i wonder if over there this still felt fresh and exciting whereas i think here in america we were already on our third fourth fifth metallica iron maiden slayer record so we were sort of like you you know maybe we oh, yeah. felt differently about it yeah and so what i had to remember in in this because i had the same exact thought there are certain like decades and certain you know fashion movements and musical movements and things that happen 
in the States that eventually got to other places of the world. And so most of the world was not doing what the U.S. was. Like the '80s didn't hit the nine. It didn't hit Canada until like mid '90s. I mean, it was just it was a weird thing that happened. And they caught right. They, they they definitely caught up. But I think that you know when you know like I was saying before, when you make it at this time, when you made it big in America, you made it big to the rest of the world. And so it was like something would happen in America and then ripple out to the rest of the world. But this was also a time where we saw. You know, um, Guns N' Roses really start to ramp up and because they didn't really hit until the late 80s and they were a lot more punk and blues influence. Actually, if you listen to their bass lines, um, them and Motley Crue were a lot blues influence there, but they didn't hit until now. And so it was like these things that were happening in the states that we were seeing, you know, as kids were not happening in other parts of the world. And so then all of a sudden in our late 30s were handed this album from 88 that Germany didn't get the influence of what America was doing until I would say 92, 93, 95, somewhere in there. So yeah, this does feel late because this is what was happening in 84, 85 in the States. Yeah. Does that, okay. does that make sense? No, it absolutely does because, because I've got a note about, basically exactly what we just said on the very next song so speaking of the next song let's go ahead and talk about track two guardian of the blind before we talk about the song quick question we brought this up on the Chronic Future episode about when a band names a song after their band name. How do we feel about this? Because it's not called Blind Guardian. It's called Guardian of the Blind. So would you like it if on Chronic Futures there was a song called Futures of the Chronic? <laughs> I'm saying you get a warning. I'm not saying we just let it go unnoticed. But I'm not going to make a big deal about it. Just, hey, Blind Guardian, you're on notice. I, I thought the same exact thing because I was like, ah, you're towing the line. You're you're towing the line. You know, if Bad Company had a song called Company of the Bad, it'd be like, oh, that, you know, no, like not, that. not working for me. But Guardian so of the Blind didn't really work for me either, but I did dig that solo at three minutes, 50 seconds, which when I wrote that down, I thought, why the Hell is there a solo at three minutes and 50 seconds? Well, I like the solo at two minutes and 30 seconds. That's the one I like. It's got a lot of those like sweeping arpeggios and stuff, but um, I'm sure that one was good. But did you hear the solo? No, I, I assume there's another solo. I don't know what. <laughs> time it was but no that solo at 350 got me yours was at two minutes and mine's at three <laughs> so. which goes to show you this is another fairly lengthy song at five um, minutes nine seconds kind of piggybacking off the conversation we were just having about being a little late to the party during the first it, it, when you listen to the song the verse kind of switches a little bit like the first half of the verse and the second half of the verse are a little bit different the first half of the verse, especially with what he was doing with his voice, gave me a lot of Kill 'Em All era Metallica, which was '83. And then the second part of the verse, his voice changes up a little bit, and he kind of sounds like Paul Dianto, the or Dianto, whatever the lead, the original lead singer of Iron Maiden. Okay. And so he was on the first two Maiden records, so 1980 and like '82 or something like that. So again. I'm hearing a lot of like 82, 83 thrash metal, not a lot of 88 here, you know? Um, but again, I, I that's cool. I, I, I like this one. This one was fun. And this is the one where I guessed uh, maybe English isn't his first language. Yeah. And I'm guessing that this is the only one that's actually credited as other people wrote it along with the two guys that wrote all the music on the album. This one's also yeah. got Marcus... Sipen and Thomas Stouch. Um, I guess they're the other guys in the band. I didn't really dive a whole lot into that, but I'm mm -hmm. guessing that they threw some curveballs at him with his with his pronunciations and well, the words. 
and this is something that I've heard um like other people when they're talking about like reviewing albums and stuff. Some words just don't translate super well to lyrics. No. Because no. and a word like guardian is a big long clunky word and to try to get it in the lyrics isn't necessarily impossible but when you're trying to get it into a thrash metal song and you're trying to say it really fast it's not a word that comes out easily <laughs> no there are certain ways to pronounce things you know change the pronunciation which i think should be looked at more instead of trying to just you know say the word guardian or you know speed it up or slow it down or whatever you know like i heard eminem in an interview with eminem once where he was saying that nothing rhymes with orange well it right. does if you change the pronunciation of it the word orange doesn't rhyme with anything and that kind of pisses me off because i can think of a lot of things that rhyme with orange what rhymes with orange if you're looking if you're taking if you're taking the word at face value and you just say orange nothing is going to rhyme with it exactly if you enunciate it and you make it like more than one syllable mm -hmm. orange you could say like uh i put my orange four inch door hinge in storage and ate porridge with george and right. and after that it was like okay well there's you know other things that can rhyme or words that can fit in if you change it's you know the the way that it's you know laid out and bands like Cody and cambria have shown me that you know, mm -hmm. you can do that for sure. You know, orange in a door hinge. Yep. Yep. Uh, that was a really good Eminem impression. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going I'm, for. I'm going to put you in an Eminem lookalike contest with that. Yeah. Ooh, lookalike? I don't know about lookalike. No, you'll wear a bag on your head. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. You'll just come out there and do that. And I will come. I will pay 50 bucks to go watch that. What a bag of M and M's. Okay, yeah. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So this one, I think the drums were the star on this one. The the drums were just nuts the entire time here. Like they were on the first song. Yeah, that drummer's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, he's he's really what, he's really really good at doing this. I was going to say, say what you will about the songwriting. Maybe the songs are too long. Maybe we don't like exactly the bits and pieces that they go for. But all the musicians are extremely talented. Yes. At doing this. Now, it, well, yeah. But the thing is about doing this really well is you might be really good at playing other stuff and not able to do this. Oh, yeah. Most yeah, people yeah. who can play this can retrograde and play other stuff really well so there's a lot and we mentioned this actually in our uh living sacrifice episode that there's a lot of just great musicianship that goes behind this type of music right and usually if you like this type of music you're gonna either be classically trained or just like this type of music well and i will say that there is a certain level of or you uh yeah, like there's a certain level of music made by musicians for musicians. Yeah. And I don't think this quite gets there, but I know some bands that are like that. And, you know, your mileage may vary on which ones you like and which ones you don't like. Like I said, I don't think we get to that degree here, but there's definitely a whole lot of that. A perfect example. The next song, track three. Trial by the Archon? <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was Archon or Archon. Archon? I don't know. All right. Well, yeah. But A R C H O N. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, Okay, so this is a great example. This is just a couple minutes of guitar noodling for the sake of guitar noodling. Mm -hmm. It's it's a part where the two the guitar players stand at the front of the stage. They have a fan whip their hair around while the singer goes and gargles 
salt water or something. And it's it. What I do like about this one is it's, it is short and then it goes right into the next song very smoothly. It does. And this this is something we talked about on some of the other albums. Do you want a six minute long song or do you want a two minute song and a four minute song? And you can just skip the two minute intro if you don't want it. You yeah. know, I do like that move here. I thought it was great. It works great in a digital world. I'm not sure how great it worked in an analog vinyl world, but it did transition really well. And I did appreciate that. But, you know, track three trial starts with electric guitar. And then the marching drums come in. And that's where I was like, his snare doesn't sound like he wants it to sound here. Because it's just that hollow snare and it just doesn't hold water for me. But track four, Wizard's Crown, that it flows right into. And, and I had a lot of fun with this one. I like the, the chant of Halloween in the, uh, in the choruses. Uh, there's all kinds of cool little guitar stuff. There's a part at 48 seconds where it just like stops, except for this gnarly guitar harmony lick that just made me, oh, it was, it was beautiful. Yeah, um, the, uh, the, um, at 137, a little hammer noodle. Yeah, there's, yeah, so 48 seconds, the song stops and they do this real oh. quick yeah. thing. And then later on, there's all kinds of other stuff too. And it's not a long song. It's, no, it's 348. Uh, right. So, like, this is the sweet spot. Like, if this was 10 or 12 tracks of this right here, I would be like, damn, I hate I missed this. Like, I, I hate it took me so long to get into this band. But unfortunately, this is sort of not the norm. There's, you know, th this is just one of like two other songs that kind of have this vibe. But yeah. as it is, I like this one a lot. This one's a lot of fun. So the Halloween chanting they were doing of this, Halloween. I had fun with that. But there's another band called Halloween. Okay, so I was doing a little bit of research and they are kind of yeah, they're kind of connected, yeah. like they're buddies. And um I think the original name for Blind Guardian was something really, really bad. It was like Lucifer's Heritage or something like that. And they were like because they wanted to like their buddies in Halloween, they wanted to do that too. And then they were like, mm, you know. Right now is not a good time to name your band after Satan. So let's uh let's go with something different. <laughs> no, and actually with that, so something that doesn't, you know, get held to America is when things happen in in the, you know, just zeitgeist in general. And that was the um satanic panic which mm -hmm. definitely, you know, went across the earth. And um I, I think that was probably a smart move on their on their their spot their their side of things to not go with Lucifer's heritage and well and and go and then with something Blind else. Guardian. Yeah, and something I could relate with actually. They so another reason they changed the name was because they kept getting like grouped in with all these black metal and death metal bands that had similar names to Lucifer's heritage. Back in the day, I was in a like new metal kind of bouncy rock group called Death Proof. And constantly we kept getting put on bills with like metal, like really heavy hardcore metal stuff because we had the name Death in the name of our band. And it was like we're not that like just because that's a word that we use doesn't mean, but that's how marketing goes. That's just, you know, they see a name, they don't bother to listen. They just lump you in with the rest of them. So I think blind guardian has a better ring to it, especially, especially they weren't trying to be a dark, scary band. They were trying to be high fantasy adventure band. So I think blind guardian was a very smart move. 
And it, the title uh, Guardian of the Blind would make a lot more sense if they had that title back when they were Lucifer's Heritage instead of Blind Guardian. Which very well might have been the case because, yeah. you know, this is their first album and everything. But yeah, right. I, I almost wonder without knowing too many more of the lyrics of the song, if that Halloween chant is because of their buddies Halloween. Yeah. And so knowing their connection to Halloween, whenever they would chant the Halloween, I just heard Halloween. Maybe it is. Maybe it actually is Halloween. Ooh. Yeah, maybe. So this actually is the end of side one, side A of that album. And I got to say this by the end of this song. Yes, this one was only three minutes and 48 seconds, but we are now 20 minutes into this album at the end of track four. And that fast tempo is starting to fast wear down my nerves. And yeah, I'm, I'm getting tired of it. And so we are at the end of, of, of side one and I'm going, cool. Your, your one song that sounded kind of different kind of still sounds the same. Sure. And the rest of the album, I kind of had the same feeling on up until the very end, but yeah, go, we're going to, we're going to flip the album there. We're going to go to track five run for the night. got on this song another fast tempo we got more fast tempo yay yeah but there's something i I will say there's something about his vocals in this one that i think works a little bit better what where he found Um, a soprano where he definitely hit those those high spots And maybe it's just the the Bruce Dickinson love that I I have, but I like it when he goes that in into that register. Which I don't have a problem with Bruce Dickinson and, and his yeah. vocal melodies, his vocal performances, not yeah. at all. And and I, I just like I said at the top of the album, I think that um, oh gosh, let's let's try to say his name again, Hansi. I, I'm just gonna call him Hansi. I think that's cute. I think that that's um, gonna be easier it's I, I wouldn't say it's cute i would just say it's easier for both of us so hansi yeah uh i i think hansi has a lot of options at his disposal um and i would imagine just from the little bit i did pick up on dude these guys are still headlining festivals and stuff like oh, these yeah. guys yeah. are still like a big deal especially especially over there so i think i would imagine that all of these things that he's doing with his voice probably get incrementally better each subsequent record and so so i bet this is a good litmus for like where his vocals eventually go again it's not a super long song so that's kind of good the guitar solos at the end kind of go through like some stages and kind of change it up a little bit this was okay i i didn't it's average. You know. It's just average. So, yeah, exactly. You know, it's still got that fast tempo, but you know, from what I saw, the things that you're talking about, they did get better and they did yeah. lean a lot more heavy into their Tolkien, you know, lyrics mm-hmm. and, you know, the atmosphere of Tolkien. I'm sure they've got some Tolkien representation on stage or whatever. I don't know. But from what I know, all that stuff did get better. So, yeah. you know, maybe a newer Blind Guardian album would be better i don't know i i don't know i kind of want to call them industries of the blind guardian just because uh <laughs> has that industries for the blind anyway building all time yeah okay so track six the martyr m-a-r-t-y-r Mark, yeah, no, that's yeah. correct. Okay, yeah, it doesn't look it should be that. But anyway. Okay, so, so here you go. This one starts with a little bit of a different mid-tempo groove. Doesn't last very long and then kicks no. into another thrash song. Yes. But, uh, but this one actually does have some tempo changes. And it does. I, I feel like 
you know, track six on a relatively short album. We're we're definitely in the back half, and they're mixing it up a little bit. I like it when bands do that. Yeah. So, I kind of like this one. So, this is another one that's just average to me because it felt like they had different things, different songs they wanted to put together here. I mean, this is where we kind of jump back up to the long song length at six minutes, 14 seconds, where the last one was just like a three minute song. But this one, one of the sections I got heavy, like Iron Maiden riff feels Mm -hmm. and I was cool with that. And then they changed it and then they changed it and then they changed it. And, you know, that was kind of where I was like, you know, what's happening here with all this. I did, I did really dig the intro riff that Mm -hmm. was happening. But then, like you were saying, at 20 seconds, it just changes into what we've already heard. For me, there's this one little through line that keeps popping up on the lead guitar where it does this do 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 little like lead lick that every time I hear it, it's just, yeah, gnarly. Like, I love it. It has this, uh, it reminds me of a specific 80s horror movie soundtrack. And I can't remember, something by Fulci or. I don't know, one of those Italian gore directors, you know, but I, I love it. Like, I love that little lead lick. It's not enough for me to be like, I love this song, but it it's sort of what kind of keeps me into it, even when it does change into some of those other parts that I don't love as much. So there is some really interesting stuff happening with the guitar kind of in the background the whole time. Yeah. And I really dig that. But there, the solo that happens at one minute... has three changes within the solo. Like the, It's like three very different solos, all smashed into one. And each one gets progressively worse than the one before. <laughs> and then it's like, I'm still sitting here going, what was that? I don't understand. And then at five minutes, 28 seconds, we get like a weird new drum sound. <laughs> it's like he went, it's like they were in the studio and they were like, look, we're in the eighties. We got to put some electronic drums in here. And it's going to awkwardly fit in and it's not going to make any sense. And you're going to go right back to doing the exact thing that you were doing before it, but we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> and yeah. it's just so weird and uncomfortable don't like it. I do not think it was needed in there. It completely like just derails the driving thrashness of things. Well, see, and, and so that's where that's where people like you and I become the assholes, okay? Because we just spent several minutes saying how it's been just straight thrash, straight thrash. We're getting tired. We're getting worn out. So they're like, okay, guys, here's a song where we're going to play with the tempo a little bit. We're going to give you a bunch of parts. It's going to get a little proggier. And we're like, no, it's not right. You, you're not thrashing anymore. <laughs> I will tell you why it doesn't work. I will tell you exactly why it doesn't work. Because all of your parts sound so different and are of varying degrees of greatness that it's like you if you take two parts or two songs parts of songs that are both equally great and put them together you give me a bridge that's why it's called a bridge ha hey listeners there you go i just figured it out for you so you give me a bridge that transitions from one part to the next okay i can deal with this we can go with this but no here we're gonna go hey we've got five songs that all suck and they're going to get worse as they go on. And then we're going to throw in a weird electronic drum solo. That's real quick for no reason. All these thrash songs that aren't really great. Hopefully together they'll sound better, but the first one sounds pretty good. The rest of them don't. To piggyback off of that (laughs) track seven battalions of fear. This one has some tempo changes that literally just, I mean, oh, we're doing something different. Like, I mean, there is 
I, I noticed for sure. I definitely hear what you're saying about that on on track six, the martyr. But I feel like on track seven, battalions of fear. There's these tempo changes. So when the tempo drops at around 39 seconds. And then again at a minute and 20 seconds. It, it just, there is no, it's just abrupt. It is yes. just instantaneous tempo change. There's no like transition to it at all. Now, there's another tempo change around 136. That I like the switch there. And then there's another switch at three minutes and five seconds. That I liked a lot, but they don't, they don't stay in that. No, they change it really quickly after that. Really quick. Yeah. So this one is, is I feel like they're trying to be proggy. They're trying to like give us a really weird thrash kind of vibe, but it, it feels long and awkward. And even on subsequent listens, like once I knew the changes were coming, they still kind of catch you off guard. Yeah. So in the beginning, I said that this is what happens when thrash tries to prog and this song is a perfect example of that thrash does not have transitions that work to bridge things together i like thrash i have no problem with thrash but thrash doesn't need to prog and they tried to prog the hell out of some thrash and i'm tired of saying throg and prog and thrash throg there we go throg throg Throg. yeah um this is a throg album (laughs) again i hate i hate just like when I kept bringing up the Lumineers and Avid Brothers, I only know so many bands in genres that aren't my specialty. Iron Maiden and Metallica, two great examples of bands that have a lot of thrash elements, more so Metallica than Maiden. Especially but, early Metallica had a lot of thrash elements. Yeah. The Black but Album, they th- kind of said bye to thrash, but you know. Yeah, so so 88 and earlier, so Kill Em All to Injustice, you've got songs that are six, seven, eight minutes long here or there. And guess what? They slow down. They get quiet. They build up. Like people act like the Black Album was this like way out of the blue thing. But you had songs like One and Sanitarium that were already playing with the mid-tempo different pieces, you know kind of prog a little bit proggy you know so i think a thrash band can implement that but these guys aren't really doing it the right way they're just smack they're like slapping it all together (laughs) yes yeah there's almost no effort to make the parts work together it just it feels so disjointed and so here in battalions of fear this is very much all the parts are just very much speed metal power metal just you know and the drums are again just nuts here and they're fun so i'm done at four minutes so i think here's the problem there's no dynamics no yes you're changing the tempo but you're not changing the sound right you're not you're not going in a different direction you're just playing the guitars are still eq'd the same way the bass is still at the same level in the mix. Like you said, the drums are still gonzo bananas. So it's like, even if you do play with it a little bit, you know, the vocals might go from falsetto to growly, but they're still, it's all in the same little pocket. And that's why change the tempo, whatever. But if you're just going to keep everything shares that sonic space and that's where the fatigue sets in. Yes. And so at four minutes of this six and six minutes, six second song, I'm out, I'm done. And the thing about it is this is kind of sort of the album closer, but it's not the album closer. It's a weird, weird way for me to look at this album and how we're kind of approaching this one. But this is the last time we hear vocals on this, this stretch. And for you to go out on like your last vocal track here, with too many changes it just it it doesn't work for me it doesn't and the thing about it is on you know the especially that first you know first couple tracks the instrumental parts were my favorite yeah but 
not here. Not here. And actually, his vocal delivery didn't give me anything special here. You know, he didn't he didn't go between different, you know, different things he could do, which shows me that later they do, you know, I gotta give, yeah. you know, give some some time to listen to older stuff just because I'm curious about it, but I this, you know, Battalions of Fear, I I wish I was deaf, not blind. Hansi, Hansi, Hansi. I love you, buddy. I love your cute name. But yeah, you're not doing these songs any favors sometimes. No, no you're like, not. That's what I was saying at the beginning. It's like, I like that he does different things. You know, one of the biggest criticisms we had of the Living Sacrifice record was the vocal delivery was the same through every song. Yep. Uh, Chronic Future album. We complained that every song had to have the rap vocal, the scream vocal, the clean vocal. Like everybody had to have a part in that one. Right. So I at least appreciate the fact that they are trying to mix it up. You don't always get the same vocal delivery, but it's not enough. It, it still sounds all very similar. Yeah. And like I said, at the beginning that any part of this album would have been a safe choice for some eighties or nineties movie director to pick for the troubled teen, yeah. you know, to be blaring from his, his room. So, with the end of Battalions of Fear, because I don't have anything else to say about Battalions of Fear, we're going to talk about track eight, By the Gates of Moria. And this okay. is where we start getting the Tolkien, for sure. Okay. Like, not start well, getting it, but this is where we start to get the if song you titles of it. So. Which is funny because, yeah, there's no lyrics. There's yeah. no vocals, so it's all in the title. But you can just imagine, like, this big epic scene in front of the Gates of Moria. Like, I, I get what they're going for. Now, however, I've got a couple of weird sounds likes thrown in this song. The very beginning of the song... Does it not sound like the Jaws theme to you? <laughs> I didn't pick up all that, but I'm not going to doubt it. You know, has that like, because it even speeds up. It's like, do 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 I was like, hey, okay, it's Jaws. Gotcha. <laughs> I, I'm not going to say no, but I'm not going to say yes. I mean, this is a fun, fun little listen. There's a lot of change-ups that were happening here, but I think this is also a place for them to go, hey, you know, we know what we're we know how to play our instruments. We're just gonna throw together a little instrumental thing and have fun. There's a section from a minute and forty seconds to a minute and forty-four seconds where they do this It sounds like Trans Siberian Orchestra for four seconds. And it I has a two-second bass solo. Yes! And it, I don't know what Christmas song it is. I don't know the name of it. But I know it's a Christmas song. I swear they did that on purpose. They had to have. Actually, when listening to this, I thought Transiberian Orchestra as well. Not specifically a Christmas song, but yes. you know, one of the things I was entertained with the last time I saw Trans-Siberian Orchestra, it is not easy to say that fast. But Trans-Siberian Tigers? What? Yes, yes, Trans-Siberian Tigers. But last time I saw them, I got a big kick out of it because it was a coliseum full of like grandmas and, and all. And it was like the first half of the show was their Christmas thing. And the second half was just this. <laughs> it was, right, a, right. and they were all loving it, having a great time because it was Trans-Siberian Orchestra and they knew that it was right. safe to do that. But, <laughs> you know, I got big Trans-Siberian Orchestra vibes here, but those guys come from this world. Right, right. That you makes know, sense. I, I do not remember the names of the bands they were in. Um, I think Sabotage was one of them. And I don't know. Yeah. They were kind of just in this 80s metal world but it, it's it's literally the same thing because where More or less. these guys these guys sing about jr talking trans siberian orchestra sings about santa claus like yes. it's the same thing though you yeah know. they sing uh, about jr or santa claus <laughs> <laughs> uh but i like this one 
this one's fun. Yeah. Like this yeah. is this one feels like two was it two minutes and something two fifty two uh, fifty two. It feels like they're just goofing off, having fun. Yeah, and for a, a high fantasy, high concept kind of album, it's it's kind of cool to have this just fun moment. And if that wasn't goofy fun enough, the well, whole reason I well okay, go ahead. One last thing I put on here is this this song. If it was technologically possible for you know the hobbits or whoever to have you know headphones in while fighting, like I feel like this song would have been played during battle. Like it's just sure it it felt like that. So go on, go on. So this is where the very first issue of the album ends. Right. But very shortly after it came out, they did a cassette and a CD version that had one more track on it. This track is so just wackadoodle that I wanted to make sure we included it. That's that's fine. Track nine, Gandalf's Rebirth. Okay. If we hadn't hobbited enough <laughs> by the gates of Moria. When I heard this song, I was having a blast. It's just so goofy and over the top. And for some reason, the bass is super loud in the mix and it's just like thumping its ass off. Yep. Like, this is silly. I love it. Yeah, this is just a fun, just, this sounds like Hobbit metal. Hobbit metal. That's yeah. I'm into it. I like yeah. that. This it's this is what you know. You're the just like in our world, we've got a little pocket of people that listen to metal. There's that little pocket in Hobbit Town, and they're listening to this. And I'm here for it. I'm I'm here for I it. Can see, you're right. That bass is turned up here for sure. I, something about that. Just I see, you know, Bilbo with the ring in his pocket. You know, in the Oh, I love it. Just everything about this song I love. Well, that's this, good that it rings in his pocket because when it's on, you can't see him. Exactly. So after track five, Run for the Night, track six, The Martyr, and then track seven, Battalions of Fear, I think we both agreed that we're getting a little bit fatigued. We're kind of getting kind of worn out. And so then you tack on these two Trans-Siberian Orchestra-esque fantasy Hobbit instrumentals. And I, it kind of gives it a little bit more goodwill like i go out feeling better than had they put just two more standard thrash tracks on it right but if i had bought this album not the cassette not the cd if i had bought this album i wouldn't have made it to the part where i ended up having more fun because i would have gone i'm done i'm i'm tired of this i'm just going to keep this album on my shelf because i bought it and it's here now but i'm done and that's the thing about it. The two tracks that we ended up having fun with, one was at the very end and one was in a re-release that's mixed entirely different and has different instruments in it altogether. I don't even know what some of the instruments were. I think there's a mandolin in there. Or not a, I don't know. Is it a mandolin? I don't know. There's different instruments in there for sure. So it's like, if we're just looking at the album itself, I don't have a lot to say about it, but the things that made it different, made it more fun were at the very end and in a reissue. So I fair enough, you know, so monster, tell me what's new. Hey, hey, good looking. The only thing that even gets close is the beginning of the martyr. There is nothing in this album that has any kind of mid-tempo groove bounce to it. That's it. And it lasts for about 12 seconds. So, yeah. But hey, it's it's a very uh product of its time and uh where it was recorded at. So, I guess, you know, new metal hadn't quite got over there yet in 88 because no. it no. didn't really exist in 88, but still it didn't uh, exist anywhere in 88. So, so what 
what's cooking? I'm assuming you were mashing uh, potatoes to this song, right? Yeah, uh, how- a little a little peek behind the curtain. We're actually recording this just after Thanksgiving, and so what he's referring to is I was mashing potatoes to this, and I wasn't because none of this album worked in the kitchen. <laughs> none of it worked in the kitchen. I, I I tried listening to this while I was cooking, and I turned it off because it was just it was too much that was happening. Like just I like a driving like a steady album or a steady song or something, but this was just like we're gonna beat the hell out of these potatoes and. <laughs> There was Potato, no yeah. boil them, mash stick them in a stew. Right, right. Yeah, no, none of this album worked in the kitchen at all. Fair enough. Yeah. All right, so do you want to give us your final thoughts, or should I go first? Sure, I'll give mine. I have a feeling yours is going to be slightly more negative than mine. <laughs> That's a fair guess. <laughs> that is a <laughs> fair guess. So, all right. Blind Guardian's debut album may not be the most original thing, but considering the time it was released and the fact that Battalions of Fear is a debut album, it's fine and decently produced, at best. The album suffers a loss of bottom end and sounds a little thin at times. With that being said, it's all here, and it's all very fast. And it's very, it's pretty time-typical German speed metal album. It's German speed metal that wants to sound American, and at this time, if you made it in America, you made it big to the world. But America wasn't ready wasn't ready for German speed metal prog. <laughs> I'm not sure many in the world were then or or it should have happened here. Technically, proficient, yes. For me, no. I gave it a four. Okay. That's so fair. not not terribly negative, but not a positive, no. you know, That's look the lowest at lowest score we've ever given. <laughs> no, no. The lowest score I believe was a two point five. Let's wait for a one. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, there'll be a one. I'm sure of it. Okay. As a fan of heavy music, but not being very well versed in thrash and power metal, this was a fun listen. The blistering guitars and epic storytelling make for a fun time, but there is a certain level of cheese in there as well. It never devolves into anything that makes me cringe, but it never really hooks me the way bands like Iron Maiden, Metallica, and Dragon Force do. I never found myself getting bored, but often I found myself not really loving the song I was in. And sometimes that song seemed to go on for far too long. I liked the shorter, punchier songs, and I do appreciate the skill and talent on display here. If you're a fan of thrash and power metal and you've uh, already heard all this stuff by the big names, maybe give this one a listen. However, if you're not a fan of this genre, this might not be the one to bring you in. For me, there's a lot I can appreciate, but as a whole, it doesn't wow me. One to ten, I give it a five. Okay, so you gave this a five, I gave this a four, which gave this a 4.5. I know, the math is just insane there. I know. All right, so that puts this at a 4.5, which actually ties it with Limp Biscuits Results May Vary, which also has a 4.5, and actually put it just under from zero, One Nation Under, which is five, and puts it right above Half Moon Run Dark Eyes at a 4.25. Now, <laughs> Crow, I want to thank you for your suggestion of this album, and if you disagree with this, or if anybody else disagrees with the score that we gave it, please shoot us an email at dangerandsarge.gmail.com. Reach out to us on one of our Facebook Instagram or X pages, uh, Dangerous Charge Across All Those, or just reach out to us on our Breakdowns for Breakfast Facebook page. Monster, what album are we listening to next week? I believe the name of the band is A Marionette. Did I say it right? I think so. That's how I pronounce it. Okay, okay. A Marionette's 2020 album, Sunset on This Generation. And Danger, I just want you to know how much you mean to me. I love you more than a hobbit loves second breakfast. 